In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very So I invite you in this moment to allow my words to be your words. And what is available to us energetically is what we decide. And so I affirm and know on behalf of each person here and recognize that there is one life, that life is God's life, that life is perfect. And affirming and knowing that that life is my life now. And so I bask in the energetic of what I've just stated. I allow that to work through me and for me Not that this declaration makes me unique in any way other than it alivens and enhances the opportunity to be in divine resonance with that presence. And in that, I see with new eyes and I hear with new ears. So I give thanks this day for the opportunity to come together to spend a few moments in in spiritual community where there's a richness and an aliveness that... I benefit from, but I also serve. And so in, in basking and nurturing this indwelling presence, life is transformed. And so I give thanks to stand with the army of light workers upon this planet that know, recognize, and welcome the greater yet to be. For this I give thanks. I give thanks for this beautiful community, the beautiful music this morning, the volunteers, the, all of our youth, the lives that we have touched over the years, the past 30 years, the lives that we are impacting now and those yet to be welcomed. I just give thanks for all that is unfolding, revealing itself, and blessing all of us. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Beautiful, beautiful. So we have been using Greg Braden's book, and this week, uh, the, the title is The Universe is Talking to Us. And so what does that look like, that language of the infinite, that language of the divine? Because it's not as if we're, you know, it's not as if it's a broadcast in, in the ways that maybe our ears, our physical ears hear it. And yet it's, it can be so alive, and it is alive for us. And Greg Braden talks about it in, in the first point he makes this week is key 17. Throughout his book, there's a number of keys. And the one that's uh, one of two that's in this chapter that I'm going to use today is that the divine matrix serves as the mirror in our, relationship, in our world of relationships that we create in our beliefs. And by that, he talks about that, talks about this idea that the everyday world is said to be the reflection of a deeper reality carved into the fabric of the universe, a reality that we simply can't and see from our place within it. Both ancient tradition 
and modern science suggest that what we see as the visible relationship of life are nothing more and nothing less than the reflection of things happening in another realm. So there's an aliveness, an unseen aliveness. There's a life force that perhaps standing where we are right now we don't see or hear, but at times we can perceive. And he's talking about that divine matrix. He's talking about this, another name for the, that quantum field of energy. And a lot of the experiments that he, he's written about in this book talk about this quantum field. I watched an interview this week of a, uh, a man by the name of uh, Sam Smith. And Sam wrote the book, The End of Religion. And he was on a debate with Deepak Chopra. And he was just going after Deepak like nobody's business. There's this, this quantum stuff. He says, I don't want to hear quantum said one time in this conversation, Deepak. And Deepak just looked at him, and it was just, you know, all of this science that we've talked about with Greg Braden to Sam Smith, it was, it was silly. It was meaningless. And so Deepak had this very lively conversation with him. And at the end of it, I looked at him, and I thought, well, what does this guy believe in then? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, what do you stand for? Because it, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, which Sam Smith is. Um, but what do you stand for? Because there's an energetic that's available to us. And so if you don't have a tradition or you don't even believe in God, then what, what gives meaning to your life? And at the end of it, I, and it was really good for me to kind of contemplate this, but at the end of the day, I really think it's just love. What do you love? I mean, love can be your, your tradition. Love can be your spirituality. Love can be your, your connection. And it may not be that, okay, everything, unless we can see it and smell it and taste it, it doesn't exist, which is what Sam Smith was pretty much saying. And that's fine. You know, we can give him that. I, I don't have to, you know, the great thing about this is I don't have to wrestle with anybody about their belief system. I just have to wrestle with myself. I got my hands full. I can wear myself out at times. But he really got me thinking, and, and, and Deepak was just like shaking his head because there was no, there was no opportunity, he couldn't even hear it. But, you know, his point was, well, the moon exists, you know, this experiment that we influence things just by observing it, and, he's a, in, and Sam Smith's uh, observation was, well, the moon exists whether I look at it or not. And then Deepak went into this whole energetic about the moon, and it was like, you know, it was, it was, it was, there were not the ears to hear it. And so it was very interesting because the, the title said that, you know, Sam Smith slams Deepak. I said, well, I got to read, I got to watch that. It was on YouTube. But fascinating. It really got me thinking. At the end of the day, we all love something. I mean, I think that's the threshold that what do you love? And so I'm very grateful to have this information and have this story of, of what's going on. And he talks about how the, mirror, the, the universe is talking to us. The universe, this divine matrix, is a mirror. And Greg Braden tells the story of how he was traveling in Lhasa in Tibet with a group of people. And before they came around the corner, they could see a reflection in this beautiful lake. It was very still. And they could, he could see the reflection of this Buddha. And so he said, well, I was fascinating. And he couldn't wait to get around the corner to see where the Buddha was sitting. And sure enough, they came around the mountain corner of this, you know, big, I guess it's a mountain pass. And they looked up on the hill and there was this beautiful Buddha sitting there. And he said, it's very much like what we... He used it as a metaphor to explain that, that what we see in this life is really a mirror. And what is mirrored back to us is, is very much, absolutely, um, contingent upon, relying upon who we are. And the infinite can only give back to us the nature of who we're being. One of the treasures I find in this book, The Divine Matrix, is, is Greg Braden says, prayer is a feeling. Prayer is a feeling. It's not magic words. 
That video I showed you last week of the tumor that, that the Chinese uh, practitioners chanted over, and all they were chanting was the words, it's done, it's done, it's done. Sounded very cool because it was in Chinese, but it was just basically saying, it's done, it's done, and embodying the feeling tone of, of health. So they didn't just pull three people off the street and say, come on, we're going to have you chant until this thing goes away. No, they, they had people that prepared themselves in conscious to see the perfection, to see the truth of being there, and they chanted. And their chant created an energetic of feeling, and the prayer became, it's done. You know, Jesus said it, it is done unto you as you believe. So the divine matrix serves as the mirror in our world of the relationships that we create in our beliefs. And so he talks about the resonance. The resonance, see, Greg Braden talks about having a car. It had 300,000 miles on it. And many people here have, you know, you have something in your life that you, an inanimate object that, that is yours, you know, that, that you respond to. And he said, and the point being, he said, I would loan my car out to friends. And, and then I, inevitably, as soon as I get, loaned it to them, the red light would go on and they'd have to take it into the garage or the car would break down or whatever it may be. And many times when he got the car back, all of a sudden, and the, all of a sudden it would heal itself. And the, mecha- and the mechanic would say, to him, well, this happens all the time. So the idea that things that are familiar with us as we are with them simply seem to work better when they are in our presence. Anybody ever had that experience? We had a conversation in the E-squared class the other day, and, uh, and one of the members talked about having this beautiful truck that he, he loved, and it, it's full of rust, but so dependable and reliable and mechanically sound, and, and he just spoke, he spoke about it as if it was a member of his family. And so he was gifted a brand new vehicle, that, you know, an upgrade, and how much he loved the new one, but then he had this beautiful, reliable, trusty, rusty truck and he wanted to make sure it had a good home. He didn't just want to sell it on Kijiji. He wanted the right and perfect person with the right and perfect consciousness to have this incredible vehicle. And he, and he talks about finding that person and, and how much that person was so grateful to receive it. But I mean, there's a whole energetic there. It's a, it's a resonance. It's not like, oh, here's my track. You know, it, it, it's, it, and so uh, it's such a great example of, of how we connect with things, which then goes into his, he had a female client, love this story. He had this female client, and she came in, and she was in this relationship. He called it the 10-year date. In other words, she would have loved to have taken it to the next level, which would have been marriage and a commitment, but he was quite happy with the 10-year date, and he was ready to go to 11 years. And so they were in this, they were in this uh, relationship together, and said so one day, one day the... Um, there's Meadow. We love Meadow. It's true, Meadow. I'm going to tell a story right now. Anyway, so, so in the 10-year date, uh, she said, you'll ne- came, she came in and she said, you'll never guess what happened. He says, well, what? He said, well, we're watching TV together and all of a sudden the hot water pipe underneath the bathroom vanity, the bathroom cabinet, exploded and it exploded and blew the door off the vanity and, and drove it into the wall opposite it. And she said, wow, it's amazing. She says, well, that's not, not all of it. We got in the car to drive out, and the, and the, and the water heater in the garage had exploded. And, and then she said, as we backed out, and there was water all over the garage floor, we backed out, and as soon as we got into the driveway, the, the radiator hose on the car broke. Water everywhere. And he said, well, after, you know, he kind of processed and taught, visited more about this, the uh, extraordinary story. He said, well, how's the relationship? She said, it's a pressure cooker. <laughs> We're energetically, we're, we're communicating all the time. He tells the story of his mother. 
had this cute little terrier, and all of a sudden they took him to the vet, and they, 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 they uh, did some x-rays, and they found spots on the terrier's lungs. And Greg Braden started thinking, and he said to his mom, you know, maybe you should go in and for a checkup and have him check, check your lungs. Because he understood this, this resonance. And so sure enough, she went in and they found that where she'd had an injury as a young girl had developed a, a cancerous growth on, on one of her lungs. So she had the surgery and everything worked out. And she's, I think she's still, I don't know, when the, when the book was written, still alive. And, but the interesting thing is that this little terrier, as soon as the woman had her, her condition uh, the, the surgery done to take the tumor out, she lost one-third of her right lung, I think it was, the spots on the dog's lungs cleared up. I mean, isn't it fascinating, the resonance and the connection? And, if, and I think the, the benefit in this is if we're paying attention, you know, if we believe life is just random and some days we get lucky and some days it works out, you know, you ever worked with those guys, you know? Same old, different day, you know that phrase? used to work with all those guys. You know, I remember working on a, a job site years ago as a carpenter and walking on the job site one morning, and, and this guy had a really unique uh, outlook on life. And it, you would say it was probably very negative. And he, so he was greeting everyone as he came in, how you doing today? And I said, man, I'm doing fantastic, getting better every day. And he looked at me and said, oh, you're one of those guys. <laughs> he wasn't going to have any fun with me because he would say this stuff, and I was just like practicing, Really? Doesn't represent me. Thank you very much for sharing. Oh, stop it. <laughs> but I, we get to choose. So he talks about, in the next slide, he talks about this idea of fear. And in this, he tells two little stories. He tells a story of a baby that's in a shopping a, a, a grocery store with her mother in the cart and they're in an aisle he's in the aisle with the mom and the baby and he's looking at the canned goods and all of a sudden the mom goes around the corner to look for something and the baby just goes crazy just lost and abandoned and on ah, screaming and hollering and then the mother walks back over and everything's fine but he thought no here's this baby it's got this choice to respond that way or maybe you know just to look at all the colorful cans and go wow look at what look at what Campbell's soup has done for the world you know and then he tells the story of the woman, a woman that came in to see him. And she was in a horrible relationship, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And she suspected that there was some infidelity going on, and, and then there was some physical violence that happened. And he was working with her through the whole thing. And finally, the guy left. And he thought, wow, you know, you sort of relieved that you, when someone's in harm's way, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a good thing. And what happened was, he said to the woman the next session, you know, how are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm just lost and I'm so lonely. This longing and sense of isolation came over her, even though the relationship was not what we would call beneficial. And so what he talked about is, it, is how fear can capture us. He says, rarely do I see people trapped in positive patterns of joy in their lives. Anybody here trapped in positive patterns of joy in your life? I mean, what informs us and drives us? It's typically this... This divine discontent that Dr. Ernest Holmes would say, it's, it's, it's something's not working. I mean, I think it's possible to live in positive patterns of joy. But it's a, it, it takes a lot of uncovering and dissolving. You know, we did a, a sacred healing circle this week, and I always love doing them. There's always more to dissolve. I mean, it's one of the practices where you can actually look at an error belief and dissolve it. 
So whatever's driving you, your agreement with lack or your agreement with struggle and dissolve it. What, what happens is we think it's, it hasn't shifted. It has shifted. Just another layer of it bubbles up because we have been inundated with layer after layer after layer because we are immersed in a culture. The, the, they call it the collective consciousness or the cultural conditioning. But it's this, this group, this pattern that runs deeply in the fabric of our, of our consciousness, just like this guy I used to work with. You know, how dare you? You're, you're, you know, to him, I was a fool to think that life was a great place to be and couldn't wait for the day to unfold. You're an idiot. You're naive and stupid. Because, the, the, you know, I mean, and it, it's very interesting. And it doesn't mean we don't look at those things. It's just that I, I have long ago uh, made a declaration that I've learned everything I possibly can from struggle. I've learned everything I possibly can from struggle. And now I'm more interested in being that divine outlet of, of infinite and divine expression. So bring it on. It doesn't mean I don't slip back into patterns of struggle and don't, that I don't get scared sometimes. I just don't live there. Because right? I know it doesn't contribute to anything that I think is meaningful in the world. You know, we're in, a, we're in a time of such great uncertainty with the things that happen in Paris. But there are things, there are atrocities going on, on the planet all the time. Every day that we don't even hear about. I mean, you know, the, the stories that bubble up. So how do we shift and change that? I know one thing about the situation right now in, in, in my heart as I thought about it and prayed on it. Now, none of that represents me. I don't stand for th this violence on the planet and I, you know, I, I don't stand for the marginalization of any group. But I also know that if that situation is gonna shift and change, it's gonna have to shift and change within that community. There's gonna have to be people that rise up in that community and you see that happening now. But there's going to have to be people, because I can influence it, I can, I can determine how I will respond to it, and I will do everything in my power to be a presence of peace and love and support on the planet. But I also know it's a call for that, that system to step up and help make shifts and changes. It's the only way that it's going to have an impact. It's not going to come from the outside. It's not going to come from the West. And I think it would help if, if the West would maybe stop dropping so many bombs, you know that we're not for this violence and yet we'll bomb you. If you kill our people, we'll kill you. It's like, where does this stop? So all I'm saying is it's, a, I, it's an opportunity for all of us to be part of giving birth to the new possibilities and new ideas. That gives me something, that gives me some, some traction in my own life. Because otherwise I'll spin in the fear just like everybody else. And I don't want to leave that. I don't want to leave that legacy to my grandchildren and to your grandchildren. I think it's our responsibility to give birth to the greater yet to be. And I think this, this tradition is not just about spirituality, it's about life. How do you love one another? How do you love your family? It starts there. So fear, there's three forms of fear he talks about. Separation and abandonment, which we saw with the baby. You know, I'm lost and left alone. You know, so many of us grew up that way. We're, we're, we're conditioned that way. I remember my family of origin. And, and so many times I thought, am I in the right spot? I'm sure I'm adopted. I must be adopted. <laughs> but there's, those, there's sort of an inherentness in that, that we, we, you know, we don't understand where we came from and how did we end up here? So that separation and abandonment. Then there's this idea of low self-worth. Ernest Holmes called it the universal, I'm not good enough. I hope people don't know, I'm not good enough. And then there's the fear of surrender and trust. That if I put down my, if I drop my guard, I will be taken advantage of. That's not the surrender I'm talking about. This surrender is this personality, this egoic nature that we think is who we are. And that's all, it's just the story we've made up about ourselves. 
So the first one, we'll flesh them out here quickly. Well, as quickly as I can, anyway. Separation and abandonment is, uh, abandonment is this universally a feeling of abandonment, as I talked about, that we don't, for some reason, don't belong. And we do belong. We do belong. Who we are and whose we are. We are the divine expression of life, individualized. But when we're, not, when we're immersed in a culture of separation, it's hard to identify with that. We are, that we believe that we are separate from our creator. And he uses a great example in this chapter about the Lord's Prayer. In the traditional Lord's Prayer that all of us grew up with, and I use this prayer when I'm doing a memorial service with people that are from different traditions. I'll say, let's do a Lord's Prayer at the end of the service, because it's lovely, everybody knows it. But it's to bring people together energetically. It's not about the literal interpretation of the words. But it's a prayer of separation, if you don't understand what was truly being expressed. Our Father who art in heaven... And so this, this presence, this, this man, it's a man because it's our father, and he's up in heaven. So is that not a prayer of separation? When if you go to the Aramaic, the Aramaic tradition of our father is, it begins with, and Aramaic was what the language Jesus spoke. Radiant one. So this brilliance, this light. Radiant one, you shine within us. Even darkness shines when we remember. Even darkness shines when we remember because we forget who we are and whose we are. And it's not about our ego. It's not about our personality. That's why, you know, God forbid, I was raised in a family. No one ever praised anybody. Nobody ever affirmed anybody because that could be the worst thing we could possibly do for one another because somebody might feel good about themselves at some point in time and think they're better than someone else. Oh, my God. Could there be a worse thing that could happen? You know, but, I mean, that was the idea. It was this idea that, well, I've got to put the fire out over there. I'll use a can of gasoline by affirming them. But, and, and I think there has to be this wisdom upon this. It doesn't make us unique. It just recognizes the truth of our being. It doesn't mean that life doesn't have heartbreak and struggle at times. It just recognizes, I've, I've signed up for this. And so what's for me to know and what's the new choices I can make that can influence my experience? It's not, we're not being punished. There's no arbitrary God up there saying, oh, I'm going to make it. You're going to have a really lousy day. Boom. It's not like that plumber that used to stand on the front of the door and, you know, hey, how you doing today? Fantastic, getting better all the time. Oh, get away from me with that. It is not only with us, it is in us and permeates all that we know as our world. It's within us, it permeates all of our world. It's everywhere present. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge. And yet, so important, the Aramaic... Our next slide, low self-worth. So low self-worth, very popular idea. Anybody here ever known anybody with low self-worth? No. Feeling that we aren't worthy of being honored and respected. Once again, it's hard to model that and hard to live from. That's, that's called to teach and live from love. Honoring, you know, yeah, I got work to do. I'm a work in progress, but I'm, I'm enrolled in it. And yeah, I've made mistakes, but you know what? I've learned by those mistakes. That's how I make new decisions. And then you understand, it's just like, this is life. Life is, we're here to learn. That song, Woodstock, had a line in there. The continued transformation, return to the garden. The belief that we're not valuable enough to have love, acceptance, health, and longevity. Who says? Who says you can't have a long, productive, bountiful, creative, amazing life? Who? Because you're the one that gets to decide. I'm the one that gets to decide. 
Love, acceptance, health, and longevity. And then the next one, the low self-worth, surrender and trust, to be grounded in the truth of our being. That's why we have spiritual practice. That's why we have meditation. We have prayer. That's why we do classes. That's why we have coaches in our lives. That's why we have mentors in our lives. You know, we have, we have people that mentor our community. I watched some of, the, some of the things that were unfolding. I've been here, started in November. This will be my 14th year. And they said it wouldn't last. You know what I mean? Anyway, but what I noticed was there's patterns that would circulate through here. And I realized, you know what? I don't want to perpetuate these patterns anymore. This, there's, there's a different way of being that I think is much more interesting and productive. And so I went to work in the co-creation work to dissolve the error beliefs that kept it going. But it doesn't stay stuck in it. It's just a, a wake-up call to go, you know, there's a, there's a more interesting thing that wants to happen here. But in order for it to change, I have to change. I have to get out of the way because I'm part of the resistance as well. And the more we've done that, there's a vibrancy. There's a, an incredible vibrancy that moves through this community. And, and so it's, it's moment by moment, day by day, to nurture that and nurture that and nurture that. And so it's a wonderful thing to be part of and watch as it unfolds within our community. The newness, the greater yet to be. And either people step in. As you do your work, you do your spiritual work and your spiritual hustling, and people either come closer or they, they, they'll move out. Because we attract to us what we are. The belief that we're not valuable enough to have love, acceptance, health, and longevity. So the next slide. The divine matrix is reflecting in our lives whatever we think, feel, emote, and believe in our hearts and minds. Whatever it is. And so, the next one. We are aware that a subtle shift in the way we see ourselves is all that is needed for that change to be mirrored in our health, careers, and relationships. So our opportunity is, what is my next good knowing here? All we have to do is answer the question and have enough spaciousness in our lives to listen because the universe is informing us. A lot of times people come in and get in a class and they'll go, oh my God, it's getting worse. And they'll say, yeah, that's our resistance. You know, when you've got an agreement, you've got a lifelong agreement of struggle and all of a sudden you say, you know, I'm not gonna struggle anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut the ties with struggle. Well, well, struggle, that egoic part of us, that entrenched part of us is gonna say, wait a minute. Are you out of your mind? What will you be without struggle and suffering and pain and not being enough? How dare you think that you are something special? And so it, 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 will, it will become exasperated. It'll become more, it sometimes gets worse before it gets better. But that's challenging the status quo and that's when we have to have the spiritual practice and the support to push through it. And all of a sudden it starts to unravel, it starts to crumble. That's the beautiful thing. None of us are ever stuck. So I have a mantra for you I want to share with you today before the, the band gets going here. This is, would be what I consider our mantra, that there's one life. That life is God's life. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. You know, I was raised with the rosary. We would do the, 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 the rosary all the time. But this is a beautiful prayer. There's only one life. That life is perfect. That life is God's life. That life is my life now. So let's say that together. There is only one life. That life is God's life. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. One more time with feeling now, because the, the prayer is the feeling. There's only one life. That life is perfect. That life is God's life. And that life is my life now. And so it is.